Got to wait till the pulpit stops shaking from uh, from Kirby up here leading. Again, I hope that you have uh, your Bible with you, and you'll turn with me to Isaiah chapter five. Let me just quickly say uh, for you that might not have been here recently or are visiting, uh, this is the fifth message out of the first uh, six chapters of Isaiah. And yes, we're going to get through this, and yes, we will move on. But I have found that I think at a very critical time, and I believe our nation, that we need to turn back not only to the entire Word of God, but we need to turn back to these Old Testament prophets and find out about how revival came in their day. Now, I hope that you would agree that in America, in our world, in our church, we need revival. And in order for that to happen, not only must we turn back to God, but we must turn back to His Word. His Word will help bring revival to this church. It will help bring new souls into the kingdom of God. And it will help you and I who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ to live holy lives that show others that we are children of God. So this morning, I want to read from words that God spoke to and through Isaiah to lead his people back to him. And I pray that we will hear this with open hearts and open minds. And again, I ask you to hear this as from God himself. We're going to read these uh, verses in Isaiah. Last Sunday at the 830 service, I read the entire chapter. Today, I just want to read the first seven verses and then the verses that focus on the six woes found in chapter 5. And let me, I'm going to say this probably several times during the message. The outline of chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, Isaiah sings a song about God's care for his people. And then beginning with verse 8 through the end of the chapter, God gives an indictment of judgment against his people, and there are six woes that he mentions. So let us pray, and then we'll read the word of God. Father, give us open hearts and minds to your word. God, we pray for our nation to turn back to you But God, as we read the book of Isaiah, we know that revival in the world must begin with your very own people. And God, help it ever be before us that as Isaiah prophesied, he was speaking to a nation that you would call to follow him, to be blessed, and to serve as witnesses and lights to the world around them. And truly, Father, you have blessed the United States. Truly, you have blessed our country You've blessed our lives and you've blessed our church. And God, help us to in turn obey you and be a blessing to the world that we live in. God, I pray that you'll speak through the words of Isaiah, words spoken and written centuries ago. God, I pray that you'll honor yourself and that you'll get our attention this day and we would search our hearts and see if we are the people that you want us to be. God, please bless us, for we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let me read again Isaiah 5, beginning with verse 1. Let me sing for my beloved a love song concerning his vineyard. Please, I'm going to read this, and then we'll go back and look at it, okay? My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. 
He digged it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it, and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. So let me point something out, okay? Verses 1 and 2, Isaiah is speaking. And please notice at the end of verse 2, Isaiah says he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. This is going to be repeated in verse 4. And then in verses 3 through 6, God is speaking. Listen to what God says. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I shall break down its wall, it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste, it shall not be pruned or hoed, or bri- and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. And again, Isaiah speaks, I believe, in verse 7 when he says... For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed for righteousness, but behold, a cry. And then beginning with verse 8, Isaiah gives six woes that God says are going to come upon the people. And folks, in the Revised Standard that I'm reading, the King James, the New International Version, it says, Woe to you. But I believe the Good News Bible has an even stronger statement that perhaps is better for us to understand. In that translation, it says, you are doomed. You're doomed. Folks, these are some frightening words. But listen to this. Woe number one, verse 8, 9, and 10. Woe to those who join house to house, who add to field to field, until there is no more room and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. The Lord of hosts has sworn in my hearing. Now listen to what Isaiah says. I have heard the Lord God say this. Many, surely many houses shall be desolate, large and beautiful homes without inhabitant. For ten acres of vineyard shall yield but one bath, and a homer of seed shall yield but one ephah. And the Living Bible translates verse 10. An acre of vineyard will not produce a gallon of drink. Ten bushels of seed will yield only a, a one bushel crop. Woe number two, verses 11 and 12. Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after strong drink who tarry late into the evening with, until, until wine inflames them. They have lyre and harp, timbrel and flute and wine at their feast, but they do not regard the deeds of the Lord or seek the work of his hands. The Living Bible, again, translates that, but the Lord you have no thought or care. The third woe is in verses 18 and 19. Woe to those who draw iniquity with cards of falsehood, who draw sin as with cart ropes. Now, again, folks, I want you to understand, and I'm trying to, going to try and give a clearer picture. It's as if these people, I think the Living Bible says that their sin is like a, a bullock, our, our, our cat that they pull behind them. In other words, they know their sin. And they're, they're not ashamed of it. They're not repentant of it. They really don't care what God thinks about their sin. 
And that's seen in verse 19. These people say, let him make haste, let him speed his work that we may see it. Let the purpose of the Holy One of Israel draw near and let it come that we may know it. Again, the living Bible that I read read out of last week translates verse 19. Hurry up and punish us, O Lord, they say. We want to see what you can do. Isn't that pretty pretty tough attitude, isn't it? If If there is a God, then why didn't he do something about it? If there's a God, why doesn't he punish us? He keeps talking about what he's going to do. Big deal. I ain't scared of God no more. He can't do nothing. That's Herbert's translation, okay? Woe number four, verse 20. Woe to those. Now, folks, I want you to just really listen to this. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. In the Living Bible, again, last week we found... For they have thrown away the laws of God and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Is the word of God the governing force in our nation at this time? And there would be people that argue, you, you can't have that. You can't have that. You've got to have separation of state and religion. And if we did that, that would be called a theocracy, right? I think that's the big word they use, that it would be a God state. Well, folks... We have become, I believe, a godless state. And so we need to turn back to the word of God. We need to point out what is evil, what is good. And then the fifth woe, verse 21, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own insight. And woe number six, woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and valiant men and mixing strong drink who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. Let me again point out, I've already done this, but I want to point out again, Isaiah 5 can be broken down into two two sections. Verses 1 through 7, Isaiah's song about God's care of his people, and verse 8 through 30, God's indictment of sin against his own people. Now, let's go back to these first seven verses. And again, folks, I know time is limited. But Isaiah... And the first four chapters has been preaching messages. You remember in in a couple of the chapters as they begin, the message he has from the Lord, the vision he has from the Lord. But now he is becoming a singer. And, and you know, I, I, I really, folks, I thought, what in the world is going on when I read this chapter? But perhaps, as one Bible commentator says that the people have been ignoring his sermons, so now he's going to sing a song. And the Bible Knowledge Commentary says that this song could be entitled The Worthless Vineyard. The song is also a parable. You remember what a parable is, an earthly story with a heavenly spiritual meaning? And in those first seven verses, Isaiah is going to sing a song about the nation of Israel. He is going to mention how much God has done for them, but he is also going to mention how Israel has rebelled, how instead of worshiping God and giving obedience to God, they have rebelled and sinned against God. And folks, again, this was a teaching method that the the rabbis would use. One Bible commentator says, number one, listen, it's a love song. It is a love song of how much God loves his own people, but God has got to get their attention. One Bible scholar believes that 
perhaps Isaiah had gone down to the temple. You remember we studied chapter 1. And again, folks, this is either going to be really dull and boring to you today or it's going to catch a fire in our hearts, I hope. You remember in chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, God had gotten tired of all their worship services. They'd come to the temple, they'd go through all the motions, but nothing was going on in their heart. And one Bible scholar believes that perhaps... Perhaps Isaiah went down to the temple and he is standing outside or sitting outside and he is singing, trying to capture the attention of the crowds that are milling around the temple. And the word beloved means friend. Isaiah is singing to his friend, God Almighty. It is all right for God to call us, our, uh, for us to call God our friend. And God had befriended not only Isaiah, but he had befriended the nation of Israel. He had cared for Israel like a farmer would care for his vineyard. But instead of the vineyard producing a tremendous harvest that he expected, he was disappointed because of the results of the harvest. Instead of in verse 7, justice and righteousness, there was bloodshed and distress. And so, folks, this portion of Scripture must be taken seriously. And you say, well, this is Old Testament stuff. Well, let me tell you something. Jesus refers to this passage of Scripture, this idea of the vineyard that does not produce in Matthew 21, Mark 12, and Luke 20. And he gives parables on the wicked tenant. But again, please just bear with me. Isaiah is singing about God's care of his vineyard. These are God's people, according to verse 7, the house of Israel, the men of Judah. And he says, I've given you the story of God's people. You see, I'm sure those people coming to the temple and hearing Isaiah sing say, man, he's going to be singing a song about us. He's going to be praising us. We're coming to the temple. We're doing all these good things. And folks, in reality, the people were going through the motion of religion, but they were not obeying and serving God when they left the temple. Listen to how... Isaiah describes what God has done in these two verses, these first two verses. He planted his vineyard. And again, you remember, we studied Abraham. God promised Abraham a land flowing with milk and honey if they were being obedient to him. And listen to what God has done for the vineyard. He has plowed the land. He had removed the stones. I'm told in Israel, stones are everywhere. He has planted the vineyard with choices vines. He has built a watchtower. Folks, this was a stone structure to guard the vineyard. And he had made a wine press, which meant that God was expecting a harvest. And folks, for many of us who perhaps were not raised on the farm or don't do gardens all, it's hard to get this mindset. But if you, if you have a farm and you grow a crop, if you have a garden and you grow a garden, what do you do? You make your very best effort that the seed that is planted is going to produce a harvest. God had blessed His people and God was expecting His people and His nation to produce a harvest. And folks, God was not expecting literal grapes here. You know the harvest that God was expecting? Fruits of righteousness and fruits that gave glory to God for the world around to see. And instead of the people producing fruits of righteousness and fruits that gave glory to God, two times, verse 2 and 4, 
And I'm again going to read this out of the Living Bible. He waited for the harvest, but the grapes that grew were wild and sour and not at all the sweet ones he expected. Folks, what does God say about you and about me and about this nation right now? And again, folks, I I hope you all don't get tired. We're going to just have to spend some Sundays in looking at this. Why do you think God has blessed us? Because our forefathers believed that God had blessed them, brought them to this land, allowed them to freely worship Him and to proclaim the Word of God. And God was blessing all this. God blesses obedience, but as we're going to find later, God curses disobedience. And I'm not talking about using bad words. And so in verses 3 through 6, the song is spoken by God. And He is speaking to His very own people. And listen to what he says in verse 3. And now, inhabitants of Jerusalem, men of Judah, judge, I pray you, between me and my vineyard. And let me ask you something. Whose fault is it that the grapes are sour? Whose fault is it in our world today that our world is becoming in such a mess? Is it God's fault or is it the fault of the sins of the people who live in the world? You know, a very wise older man in our church used to say, the world's not changing, but the people in it are changing. And folks, all the bad things going on in the world today, is it God's fault or is it the result of man's sin? And listen to verse 4. God says, what more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? What more could God do for you and me? He has given us the best of all. He has given us His Son on the cross. I read something this morning. I was just flipping through. I don't even remember what it was now. There was a devotional book laying in the fellowship hall, and I picked it up to carry it to where the, the bags for the soldiers are going to be put. And there was a statement in there about what the cross stands for. There's holy God here, there's a sinful world here, and there's a cross right in the middle. And it is the cross of Christ that is keeping God's judgment from falling upon all of us because all of us are sinners. But it is the cross of Christ that brings us all into right relationship and brings us to God Almighty, the holy and almighty God. What more could God do for you and me, our church, our nation, than to give His Son? Why are we rebelling against Him and turning against Him? And folks, let me ask a question. If you're a gardener, a farmer, if you have an orchard or even a vineyard, if the, if the plants stop producing and become diseased, what do you do? You either prune it or you plow it up and remove it. God wanted his people to be pruned so that they could do better. But listen, folks, in verse 5 and 6, Sin always brings disaster to those who serve it. And the people of Israel were bringing God's judgment on themselves by their sin. And I believe it would be biblically correct to say that if the judgment of God falls upon the United States, it will be a result of our serving sin instead of serving God. Listen to verse 5 and 6. And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. What I'm going to do. Listen to these things. And please notice, probably regardless of the translation that you have, 
It begins with, I will, I will, I will, I will. Listen to this. Verse 5, I will remove his hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste, it shall be not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they do not rain upon it. God has done everything possible to make Judah, all Israel, a righteous and fruitful nation. Only when they fail to become what he wanted does he begin to send judgment. And Isaiah's song or parable points historically to the destruction of Jerusalem and the kingdom of Judah in 586 B.C., and that is a historical fact. Now, does that that mean that God's going to destroy the United States? I don't think so. But I believe, and you can have your own belief, I believe something catastrophic is going to happen to this country if it does not turn back to God. I don't know what it is, and I would not venture to say. But, folks, I believe by our actions, by our rebellion, our sin, we're bringing the judgment of God. And, folks, these expressions, I will remove his hedge, I will break down his wall, I will make it a waste, those are terms that describe protection of the vineyard owner. And protection of God. Has not God blessed our nation and God prospered our nation and God taken care of us? But folks, remember, as we've said every Sunday probably, judgment is a purifying force that leads people back to God. Judgment must come before blessings can follow. Now, did it mean that God no longer loved and cared for his people? Absolutely not. We'll explain that apparently next Sunday. And folks, after the destruction of of Jerusalem, God prospered them again because God is a God of mercy and grace. And you might be saying, well, well, let's just keep on sinning then. If he's going to, if he's going to fall back on his plan, oh no, you don't want the judgment of God to fall upon us and upon this nation and even upon this church. I think I tell you this, but back during the Easter drama, And I can't remember the words now, but one of the disciples, somebody said, what happened when Jesus died on the cross? And somebody said, darkness. And there was. You remember darkness on the face of the earth for three hours? Folks, listen, there's going to be darkness in our world. And I'm not talking about about a physical darkness. But there's going to be a spiritual darkness. Is it coming to our land? Is it already here? And folks... All I'm trying to do is point out that you and I need to stand tall for the Lord right now. This is not a time for the church to be cowardly. This is a time for the church to be bold. This is not a time for the church to sit and be quiet and say, well, I don't want to get involved. It is a time that the church of Jesus Christ is to be involved. And perhaps that is God's plan, that some of this is happening now so that the church will be revived and wake up and a great revival can happen in our land. Listen to verse 7. I'm just about finished. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah, his pleasant planting, he looked for justice and behold, bloodshed for righteousness, but behold, a cry or distress. Just think about this for just a second. Sin always causes us to do the opposite of what God wants to do for us. God wanted to bless this nation. That was his promise to Abraham. 
But because of their sin, the blessings of God turned into the judgment of God. Let me quickly look at the six woes. And this, I, this is going to be quickly, okay? The next slide is going to show these six woes. And I want to mention the six things that Isaiah focuses on. And if you've read these first five chapters in Isaiah, you know that there's a lot more that God is, is, is pointing out to them. But look at these six woes. And let me ask you, does this not look like our world today? Are any of these sins that are facing judgment absent from our modern world? Remember, as we began this study in chapter 1 of Isaiah, it's like a courtroom scene. God is the judge. Well, God's laying out the evidence. Here's the evidence of man's sinfulness. Number 1, verses 8 through 10, selfish greed and materialism. There's nothing wrong with God blessing us and giving us material things, but it is a sin when greed creeps in and we become selfish and self-centered and the world, our world, is materialism. Is not a lot of bad things happening in the United States because of materialism and selfish greed. Number two, drunken conduct. The third woe, mocking at God's power to judge their sin. Number four, distortion of God's moral standards. And again, calling evil good and good evil. The fifth woe, arrogance and pride. And the sixth woe, verses 22 and 23, perversion of justice. Perversion of justice. Paying off the judge. God cannot be paid off. He will bring justice. You know, it's sad that I believe every generation has to face the fact that we're rebelling against God. Perhaps in not all of these ways, but many if not all of them. In Matthew 23, Jesus gives seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees and the hypocrites. God is trying to work in every generation to lead us back to himself, to use us for his kingdom's work. And folks, again, Steve, would you go to the to the, uh, second to the last uh, slide on the overhead? If you'll go, keep on going, and if you'll go to the end and then come back one. Uh, this is, whoa, Romans 5.20. There you go. I want to be real careful. I'm, I'm just up here trying to be God's spokesman. Isaiah was not received well by, by many people. Neither was Jeremiah, neither was all the other prophets. And I'm not worried about how you feel about me. Um, I, can, I, I, want, I want you to love me because I love you. And I want to be beneficial to you as a pastor. But if I don't stand up here and tell you the truth, number one, if I don't tell you the truth, I'm going to be lying to you. Number two, if I'm not going to tell you the truth, I'm not doing you any good as a pastor. I want you guys to get the attitude that, again, I've said this before, I'm mad at anybody, I'm mad at one particular. I am not. Folks, I believe that our country is headed into a very dangerous place.
And that is away from God in a way that we have never seen in our lifetime. Sin is going to be in our society every single day because we're all sinners. But there's something I want you to keep aware of in all of this. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 5.20. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. If it wasn't for God's grace, all of us would be wiped out. It's not a one of us worthy of the mercy and grace of God. Is it? And folks, there's never a person that has gone too far for God's grace to reach out to and save. There's never a believer who's gotten so entrapped in sin that God won't forgive. That's his mercy and his grace. And in talking about judgment, I want you to know this other side. Here's this loving God who chapters later in in Isaiah 53 is going to tell Isaiah to speak to the people and say, I'm going to send someone who's going to heal you. I'm going to send, send someone who's going to take the punishment and judgment of your sin upon himself, and that's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel, folks. That's the word that we've got to give out. We're not here to judge one another, but to see what sin will do, but to point out what mercy and grace will do also. And may we turn to God's mercy and grace as individuals, as a church, and as a nation. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful for passages of Scripture that for some of us it's hard to understand until we really give you time to speak to our hearts about it. And God, I pray in these moments if we studied about the parable of the vineyard and about how the vineyard produced wild grapes, sour grapes, instead of the good grapes that you wanted, God, help us to see that you're talking about us. You're talking about our nation. You have blessed us. You have blessed our nation so that we would bear fruits of righteousness and we would bear witness to the entire world that there is a real God and there's one way to him, and that's through his son, Jesus of Nazareth. But God, forgive us when we get caught up in a world around us that says you don't have to worry about sinning or go ahead and do as you please. God, help us to be different because Jesus lives in us. And because he is different, may we be different. And as people see us, may they be drawn to your son and to salvation in his blood. Dear God, please, in these moments of invitation, speak to our hearts. God, perhaps we're silent Christians. We're secret disciples as Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had become But God, help us, Lord, to be awake and alert to every opportunity you give us on a day-to-day basis to serve you and say a word about our loving God and his Son, our Savior. Father, speak during these moments of invitation. For we ask in Christ's name, amen. Our hymn this morning is number 417, Jesus is Tenderly Calling. And maybe today he's calling you to salvation. You've never, you've never acknowledged to him that you are a sinner and believe that he can save, but you're willing to do that today as, as the Spirit of God leads and moves in your heart. Would you come and profess faith in him? As Christians, would we make new commitments this day to follow the Lord and be his people and be a blessing to the nation 
so that we'll turn back to the Lord. If you're here and God is leading you to become a part of this church family, would you come? Whatever God is leading you to do, you do. If he's not leading you, don't do it. But if he is, please come. Let's stand together.